Hello, and welcome to the podcast How to Design a Resilient Curriculum. I am Tikva Branger, independent senior advisor, teacher trainer, and founder of Studio Blended. Here we discuss our finite methodology for curriculum design. We see technical and human resilience as two sides of the same coin. One cannot do without the other. Technique is key for effective teaching. And you can actually use technique to design a curriculum that is suitable for the human pace in step with yourself and others. You can design for true enjoyment of your own teaching. I'm inviting you into the space as we dig into these most essential aspects of curriculum design. If you want to discover how to design a resilient curriculum for your activity, module, workshop, atelier, course, training, or even a whole degree, you have come to the right place. Today we delve into the actual practice of curriculum design. This is episode one of 25 modules. We have some 20 minutes of your precious time for this episode, so let's begin. Did you ever realize that when you start teaching, you must actually unlearn quite a few things, including going by your intuition or your emotion on how you should teach? Why is that? For one, your intuition is often shaped by who you personally feel was a great teacher in your own education. You intuitively use this person as a model, a hero. You know, personal anecdotes. I was taught in this way and I graduated, so it must work. The issue is that this person may have been, by their intrinsic nature, gifted at some aspects of teaching, or this person had a lot of practice in some aspects of teaching and sensed the comfort zone in using those mostly. But this style may not be your nature and you may not have that much practical experience yet to make a certain type of teaching rock solid. In fact, some practices that you experienced firsthand that were modeled to you are technically not even that effective for learning. For instance, a rating. Giving a long over 20 minutes solo talk with or without slides can occasionally be inspiring and part of an academic or professional tradition. But since all the exposure in knowledge and examples given by the speaker is not actively used yet by the audience, it also quickly fades in listeners' memories. Your emotion can also deceive you on how effective your teaching actually was. For example, see if you recognize the following situation. You were delivering a week's atelier. And on Friday, at close of business, you felt completely exhausted after the long working days and late evenings with students. With colleagues over drinks, you remembered your own excitement during the teaching. And because of that, you felt so happy and satisfied. You sensed your fatigue and emotions were proof of a fantastic educational week. Well, I hate to break it to you, but in itself, these emotions do not prove effective learning. And being that fatigued is not even good for you or your students. In some, going by your intuition or emotion in many cases can be misguided. Instead, you should, first of all, build on a foundation of technique and pedagogy. On top of that, I would argue that if you listen in today, you are part of a new generation of teachers because of the immense and lasting impact of the worldwide lockdowns on education. 
Some trends we already saw before lockdown, such as pedagogy used in distance education, have become mainstream and are here to stay in blended form, meaning both face-to-face -face and online in an integrated way. You as a new generation of teachers simply must come up with new and blended solutions for effective teaching. Think, for instance, about teachers and students' demands alike for flexibility in their schedules, or think of opportunities for decentralizing education to make it more accessible. Think of the pedagogical innovations possible because of the technology, such as learning autonomy. Think of the new meaning and value of face-to-face -face time. We change how we use time in education. Face-to-face -face becomes absolute premium time. You cannot simply copy your model teachers from the past, and you must put innovations to the test. Are they simply life visions, philosophies, or actually proven by science to work? Consider this. In the future, we will not even speak of blended education anymore, but we will talk of good education, and it will naturally involve a thoughtful integration of face-to-face -face and online learning. Remember that the best teachers don't show up spontaneously to teach and then completely nail it. The best teachers carefully design and plan for their teaching. If you enjoy to lean on improvisation during teaching delivery, that's not a bad thing at all. And sometimes you must improvise and it makes you more humanly resilient as a teacher. But you can only do so effectively on the basis of a good fundament, the curriculum, to actually improvise well. You must first train your intuition and emotion afresh, away from past models and based instead on the groundwork of technique and pedagogy. That is what teacher training is about and what it should start with. It is here that curriculum design comes in, beyond the single session, as a fundament of your teaching. So what is a curriculum? Actually, the origin of the word comes from Latin and it means the course to be run. It's useful to think of a curriculum as a course, as a journey with a destination. You are designing a learning journey when you design a curriculum with certain exit goals in mind. How important is it? Well, I'd say that if your teaching delivery is the house that you build and you show to others, the curriculum is the location of the plot you chose for that house in the first place. What is more, blended is mainly a design challenge in your curriculum, so it makes sense as the world opens up to put a lot of focus on design first. Now that we're clear about curriculum, let's dive a bit deeper into design. The concept of learning design has been evolving since the early 2000s. It's deeply rooted in design thinking. Basically, it means a shift beyond the teacher's question, what do I need to teach, to putting the learner first. What is the best way for my learners to learn and understand this concept? Who are the learners? What do they already know? How do they think? How can I reach them effectively so that they get the most out of their learning experience? Today with technologies such as online learning platforms, we are looking at the classic triangle of interaction in distance learning from the 2000s. So we have one, the learner, two, the teacher, and three, the content online. And the interaction goes in a triangle. Obviously with technologies that advanced much since, things became more complex following project cycles of design, development and delivery of a course, of a degree.
but the essence of this triangle of interaction is still very useful. Face-to-face -face or in a synchronous online setting such as Zoom, the learner interacts with the teacher and peers. Online, the learner interacts just with the content or possibly in an asynchronous way, also with a teacher who facilitates with peers. The question becomes, how do you design for effective learning in this triangle? Let's delve a bit deeper first into this question. How do people learn best? Or even how does the brain learn best? What is effective learning for the brain? We have just some moments, so I can only raise your awareness and point you in a certain direction. The connection between how the brain learns and how you design for your teaching. It's immensely interesting stuff. As a result of breakthroughs in neuroscience research, we can now observe, actually see on image, how the brain responds during learning. Fascinating. This research has also brought out how sensory information, seeing, smelling, hearing, etc., is transformed into networks in the brain that make durable, long-term memory and deep understanding. Here are some insights to raise your curiosity about these beautiful organs of ours. The brain. The brain is always changing as a result of environment and experience. Understanding how the brain converts information that you give as a teacher into learning provides keys to effective curriculum design. All learning begins with information from our senses, but the brain must minimize the enormous amount of sensory input. The reason is that the brain needs to preserve its limited fuel. Unlike other organs, it has no stored nutrients or oxygen. Even so, it is so dense and metabolically active that it requires over 20% of all the oxygen and nutrients the body consumes. And so, the brain must be selective with what it attends to and the information that gets in. The brain selects which information goes to the reflective and memory-storing thinking brain. The alternative is that the information goes to the reactive brain, which has behavioral responses that best look like involuntary survival responses to a perceived threat. How is any of this relevant to you as a teacher? Here are some examples of specific educational-related stressors that can trigger reactivity and are part of your design. A learner is bored as a result of prior mastery or absence of personal relevance to the material. A learner is frustrated with the material he or she believes is over and above their understanding. A learner feels overwhelmed by the demands of your assessments. A learner is unable to effectively organize time. A learner feels isolated or a lack of acceptance by peers or teachers. You can imagine that these learners get blocked, stuck, and don't achieve much with their thinking brain, which needs a better environment for things such as logical thinking, judgment, emotional self-management. Here's another insight about our brain, neuroplasticity. Did you ever hear someone tell you that the brain growth stops with birth only to be followed by a lifetime of brain cell dying? We now know this is untrue. In fact, there is a lifelong growth and expansion of the abundant connections through which neurons communicate. This is called neuroplasticity. That is the always present capacity of the brain to generate new neural networks in response to stimuli. 
On top of that, repeated activation of memory enhances or modifies memory networks. Let's illustrate that. If you practice something more often, you access and retrieve memories more effectively. And the memories last longer because you strengthen the circuit of connected neurons every time. Think about how you learn to tie your shoes. Repetition, 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 created fluency. Another aspect is what you can call use it or lose it. It's also a side of neuroplasticity. Without stimulation of these networks, there is a gradual loss of connections, eventually leading to dissolving them. Let's illustrate that again. Did you ever wonder why after summer learners forgot so much? From a brain's point of view, it makes total sense. Remember the high metabolic demands of the brain? The brain needs to ensure its limited resources don't spread too thin and must be able to support its own efficient operation. In other words, you don't have to take it personally if they forgot, unless you didn't take account of it in your design. How does any of this relate to curriculum design? You can think of cognitive networks that are needed for understanding as highways on a Google Earth image taken from a high altitude. You don't see the small roads yet, but the highways are opening up. Likewise, exploring essential questions, engaging in authentic tasks, build and expand these networks in the brain. And then, how does the brain remember? Storage of memory is based on patterns, on relationships, in a very effective way, the brain accesses prior knowledge to enable it to make connections to new information and situations. For instance, remember how as a child you could realize that an oven could be hot after you burnt yourself twice? Now you connected the word hot with the experience and remember not to touch it. How can you use this insight about storage of memory to maximize teaching effectiveness by design? You can already begin to imagine that the best way to start a course is by activating prior knowledge first, and that you can use pre-assessment to establish what learners' prior knowledge is and activate it at the same time, so that their brains can make new connections for new information that you'll give them. It becomes even more fascinating and challenging for us when we look at what makes long-term memory. What makes a memory that lasts? Here's a brief answer. Research proves that road learning, meaning repeating a lot, in itself is not very lasting. It's ineffective. It may work for an exam the next day, but quickly evaporates. You may notice from personal experience practicing Italian words for a test. Once a short-term memory is there, it needs mental manipulation of this new information. That means it needs to be thought about or applied to form richer and deeper connections and ensure its place in long-term memory storage. Otherwise, the short-term memory fades in less than a minute. Practice really helps, but only as long as it involves active mental manipulation, construction of new ideas, and opportunities to apply this newly acquired knowledge and skills in different ways than they were originally learned. That's what you as a teacher can design into the curriculum. Let's sum up. What is effective teaching by design to us? One, ensures the brain learns optimally in the moment. Two, ensures a memory that lasts. Three, effective teaching is demonstrated by the ability of the learner to transfer understanding to new situations.
To conclude, what does it look like for you practically to design well? Get into the routine of tending to your own workplace, of formats, lenses, frameworks and principles for curriculum design that work for you. Each of these essential formats brings a new dimension to your design, a new angle. You can find our own finite and essential selection at Studiopedia. The process of designing a curriculum is very iterative. You keep going over it. That's also why handwork is great to start with. Piece of paper, a pen. You hold the design as a living document. You quickly adapt, craft. You don't work in versions. You allow the design to tell you also what it wants by treating it as a work of craftsmanship, by bringing it to peers and experts. Only then, after it makes sense conceptually, technically, pedagogically, you start filling in the details, digitalizing it and turning into development and eventually delivery. We're all tight on time as teachers, so how long does the design phase take? To give you a practical impression between teaching design development of the materials and building it online, and delivery and evaluation, you should spend the lion's share of your time on the curriculum design. That is, if you want to be smart in your golden triangle of one, quality, two, time, three, cost investment. And if you want your actual teaching to flow so organically and naturally on you and be effective. You must be able to bear any resistance you feel from yourself or others to crash this process. Instead, take your time in design. It will be greatly rewarding later on. And I promise you can also greatly enjoy this design phase. And with practice, you will become more fluent and efficient, but above all, more qualitative. I don't want to give actual indications because I don't know your setting or nature and experience. But don't be surprised if a brand new course may take up to months to design well. Where will you find the time to train yourself to design effectively as a teacher? The discipline of teaching is riddled with techniques, conflicting ways of doing, immense volumes of literature, sometimes books of up to 2,000 pages, so many voices and heated debates between professionals, so many platforms. That's where Forum 8's function comes in, which is the methodology I crafted over the past decade until it became fit for purpose. With the methodology I'm proposing, you don't have to go through all the history or through complex controversies or hype cycles of concepts. I'm proposing a lean way. I bring back calm simplicity. You can already begin enjoying the results. Technical resilience, human resilience for yourself, effective teaching, simply by trusting the formats, lenses, frameworks and principles that I'll give you. They are universal and still quite flexible to you to tailor to what you need and offer a robust foundation, a solid structure for you. It's enough, even without going through all that literature. It's more about daring to begin, start designing, start sensing a format, making the mistakes, start the learning, the growing until you discover what truly fits your nature, the kind of teacher you are in your setting. We covered a lot of ground. I hope it settles well for you. Studio Blended is more than just an audio podcast. We also offer actual advice. 
If you long to design your own learning path, we offer a simple consultancy package, which comes with all the actual technical formats and assignments that fit your learning journey and tailor it completely to your nature and setting. Or, if you are a course or degree coordinator and are tight on time, why not consider highly tailored and personalized advice right where you are with your course or degree design. Why not ask your employer to support you? You can find both options on our website. I hope this episode helps you to find clarity and more confidence in your teaching design. So thank you for listening and I will see you again here for our next modules episode. Thank you for listening to our show. Our speech proofreader is Veronica Olivotto. Our team music was composed by Lucas Rampazzo. How to Design a Resilient Curriculum is executively produced by me, Tikva Breimer. Do you have a question that you want to have answered? Feel free to send me an email directly via audio at studioblender.com. I can't wait to hear from you.